0: The following message is brought to you by the Teaching and Preaching Ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, good morning, church family, and welcome to our mental health Sunday. And I, I, we we had planned this months and months ago, but it is an amazing sometimes ha- how the Lord and His sovereignty just allows certain services to fall during certain times within kind of what's going on in our culture and what's going on in our society. And so we're going to spend some time really drilling down on this subject, and we're going to talk about what does the Bible have to say about mental health? And uh, for some people, whether it's a emotional instability, mental kind of uh, situations that they're going through, we want to talk about what does the Bible have to say on these particular issues. Let me just say thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, We realize there are several folks that uh, are not with us here this morning just due to uh, just maybe some fear or anxiety they might have regarding what's going on in our society, but thank you for being a part, and I want you to know that we're going to keep you posted as a church family uh, through the coming weeks on how we're going to navigate this over the upcoming few months, All right. So, if you're not on our Facebook group, jump on there. We'll try to keep communication open in regards to, you know, kind of how we're going to be navigating the coronavirus in the months to come. Well, today we have the privilege of having with us Dr. Robert Bax. Uh, Dr. Bax is a pastor in Australia. In fact, he flew all the way out from Australia to be with us, and I feel bad. He found out last night that uh, when he flies back, they just made a mandate that anybody who's flying uh, from America to Australia have to quarantine themselves for two weeks. So because he's with us here today, he's literally going to have to go into quarantine because it's just a policy for anybody coming into the country. So thank you so much for willing to sacrifice to be with us and things along those lines. He's not getting quarantined because he's sick. He's fine, all right, so no worries there. Uh, but that's just a policy they're, they're setting in motion for them as they uh, travel. Uh, Dr. Bax has written uh, two books. In fact, he's writing a third book right now on the subject of mental health, Um, and a lot of it has to do with his own personal story and his wife's struggle with mental illness, and so he might talk a little bit about that here even this morning, but I wanted to ask, I asked him to come and really speak on this subject because it's something that's becoming more and more pervasive in the world in which we live, and it's one of those things, unfortunately, that people just kind of sweep under the carpet, and we don't talk about it, we don't address it, and so as the church, I think it's only appropriate that we would take the time really to talk about some of these things in regards to mental health. And so Dr. Bax has been the pastor of the Lighthouse Baptist Church for the last uh, 23 years. Uh, He's an author, written several books. In fact, before he was a pastor, he was an attorney, uh, a lawyer, and uh, did that before getting into full-time ministry. He has five kids, nine grandkids. Uh, He's been married for 36 years and uh, just uh, so excited to have him with us uh, to preach, to speak, and so we're looking forward to having him. So, Dr. Bax, would you come at this time? We're thankful that you were willing to make the trip. Looking forward to what you have. He has some books in the back. Uh, in fact, if you're a first-time guest with us, we want to give you that as our gift here today, and we're looking forward to what the Lord has from us for His Word. Thank you so much for being with us. Fish pump. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm glad uh, to be able to be here with you today, and uh, he, he, pastor mentioned I'm uh, writing my third book on mental health. I will actually get a chance to complete it now when I go home. <laughs> because I'm quarantined for 14 days and isolated. So, and everyone in the office said, do not come in, do not come in. And I said, okay, that's fine, I'll quarantine myself. This is a great time to have a holiday or a vacation. This is fantastic. But uh, thank you uh, for having me here. And uh, let me begin also by saying thank you for allowing your pastor to come to our church last year and he was such a blessing to all of our, our church family. We held a, uh, an internal church conference. It was the first time he really did it. And I said, who would be a good person to come in that could speak to a broad range of people? So every evening, there was a different group of people in whom he would speak to, whether it was young adults or whether it was the life, the, the small groups, uh, whether it was married couples. And he did an absolutely fantastic job. And, was such a blessing to our church and uh, uh, we actually want him back if you would let us to have him come back we would love you and his wife to come with us this time as well but it was just a really good thing you know the Bible talks about one passage of scripture it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John talking about John the Baptist and I really think uh, your church ought to just recognize there was a man sent from God whose name was Josh Ermler and God's used him greatly and is continuing to do so. I'm not sure if you're aware of it as a church, but your pastor has got good national recognition and is used in many places around your, non- your nation and internationally now as well. And that is because of you. That's because of you you give him credibility to be able to do what he does. And so thank you, church, for sticking behind your pastor, being a great example of a, of a, thriving, of a thriving church growing in this area. And I uh, appreciate all that. Hunter, worship on top, worship dude. Uh, I, I just chuckled at his little tagline on, on, your, uh, on your email you sent me. Most people put worship leader or worship pastor and Hunter puts worship dude. And I just thought that's fantastic. <laughs> i just loved it he reminds me of one of those turtles off finding nemo and um he's just uh i just love him appreciate his uh his just every time i communicate with him he's just, just happy and just a a great example of someone who just wants to lead people in worshiping an awesome god and uh appreciate that so thank you thank you well my topic today is uh, dealing with an unquiet mind. And I will see if this is going to flick up there. There it is, it's ready to click on from there. Have you ever laid in bed and uh, all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And as you laid there, it was noisy. But it wasn't noisy in the house, it was noisy in your mind. And it it was an unrest from there. Your mind was racing, negative thoughts, worry, anxiety where am I gonna get the next toilet roll from? Uh, all those things that sort of what's gonna happen now and fear just sort of grips you and, you and you cannot sleep. Pastor asked me, how did I sleep last night? And I said, you know, I normally don't sleep great. Uh, and uh, I said, but to come into Fresno, must be something here. I, I went to bed at 11 o'clock last night and woke up at seven o'clock this morning and didn't even feel like I was, it just sort of went like that. It was a fantastic sleep, so thank you Fresno. It was fantastic. I loved it. But this is what I, I want to talk to you about an unquiet mind. Let me show you this verse of scripture here out of Psalm 42, sort of like a launching pad to where I want to give an example of, an, of a Bible example of mental health issues. But I want you to notice what it says. Why art thou, what's it say? Cast down, cast down, O oh my soul. And this is David talking to his own soul. I never really kind of caught, cottoned on to that until you realize, hang on, he's actually talking to himself here. And why art thou, what's that word there? Disquieted. Disquieted. Why are you noisy? Why are you not quiet within me? And then I love his answer. He answers himself. Hope thou in God. There is your answer. For, notice this, future tense. For I shall yet praise him. I'm not doing it right now. But I have a hope that I'm going to come through this. Talking about the person who I'm going to thank and I'm going to praise. Who is the health. He's the health of my countenance of what I, what I am and what I look like and how I'm feeling. And I wanna remind you who else he is, he's my God. And so from someone who's sort of questioning, why am I feeling this way? And I'm talking about mental health. That's what I'm dealing with, mental illness and covering these things. And the reason I talk about this is because it's very personal to, to me uh, and my wife. My wife has traveled and journeyed with mental health now for 28 years of her, her life and it's been a, a battle and a struggle during that times and neither of us understood any of those issues. We had about eight years of, of incredible marriage, uh, three little children and then boom, and our life was turned upside down and uh, we've traveled through that. And so we have so now started to try to say, what can we do to help others who travel this journey or have relatives or people in their life from these issues. And what we do understand is this, that our minds and our bodies are absolutely connected. Jesus knew that. In fact, a third of Jesus' ministry, if you notice this, Jesus would go about all Galilee and he would, do, he would teach in the, in the synagogues. He'd educate people. He'd educate them. He would preach the gospel of the kingdom. He would evangelize people. That was his ministry. And he would heal. He was healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. A third of Jesus' ministry was healthcare. And when you think about this, I would would be fairly sure, I'm pretty safe to assume, all manner of sickness and all manner of disease would include mental illness not just talking of physical things, but also mental issues from there. So I wanna talk about this idea of mental health and thinking about what it actually involves. And as you saw the great little video clip before, we're talking bipolar, we're talking depression, borderline personality disorder, uh, anxiety disorders, whether it's GAD, general anxiety disorder, whether it's panic attacks, whether it's OCD, PTSD, Uh, anorexia, bulimia, all those different things that can come up and are classified as mental health issues. Now, what we do know about mental health is this. There is a lot of things that uh, brain science is not an exact science. We don't know an enormous amount of things, but there is enough that we do know about mental illness that can give us some good groundwork on this. Because when you come to a mental illness issue, there is no scientific test. You cannot go down to the doctor and take a blood test, a urine test or an X-ray or something and say, boy, here you go, here I am, I've now got schizophrenia or I've got borderline personality disorder or I've got bipolar disorder, uh, simply because your blood work shows that. It doesn't. It's all symptomatic diagnosis. And when you come to symptomatic diagnosis, they simply look at thousands and thousands and thousands of cases and they say they all have the same symptoms, hence we have now diagnosed them this. And can there be wrong diagnosis? Of course, there can be. But here is generally what you look at. You look at people who are mentally unwell as opposed to people who are mentally healthy. And they range in all different symptoms. You have people that are are distressed, uh, uh, poor coping skills, hopelessness, disconnected from others, angry outbursts, sleeping too much or too little, Excessive anxiety and worry, pervasive sadness, withdrawal, that's all on this left hand side. Mentally unwell, distressed, disconnected, disturbed, discouraged. Then you go to mentally healthy, and you're talking about people who are resilient, strong coping skills, resourceful, positive relationships, usual mood fluctuations. Now don't look around at somebody and say they've got terrible, they've got different, unusual mood fluctuations, usual sleep patterns energized, they manage uh, challenges well, and they can stay very, const- uh, very socially engaged. You've got two different spectrums. And ge- generally, people will travel sometimes along that spectrum, and some go way over to one side, and hence they become mentally unwell. And they carry that. That's the symptoms from there. So there is an awful lot that, as I said, we don't know about mental illness, but there's an awful lot that we do know about mental illness. And some of the stats you saw before are very common in your country and in ours, that there is one in five Americans that will suffer a mental health condition this year. We're talking 20% of your nation will suffer with a mental health condition, diagnosed mental health condition this year, 20%. We're looking at every person, every person in your nation, one in in two, 50% of your nation, somewhere in their lifetime, will suffer a mental health condition from mild to major mental health issues from there and so there are some things we do know about this the youth statistics that you saw uh, are alarming Uh, they are definitely there and i do believe and so does my wife that there is an answer and i do believe the fact that you put a sign up that says church there is an answer people come here looking for answers on every issue of life, just as Jesus would educate, evangelize, and he's also helped people in their, in their physical lives and mental lives, we ought to be able to do those things. The alarming statistic that comes up is always this one, and I've circled it there, you won't be able to read it from where you are potentially, but this is uh, 2017 statistics, they haven't changed, they continue to be the same thing. The leading cause of death the leading cause of death from people aged 10 to 34, outside of unintentional injury, which could be a car accident or some of those things, but the leading cause of death is suicide. There are more suicides in your country than there are homicides. Now, that ought to be a shocking statistic. And as, the, as, the, as they say, 90% of those suicides are attributed to a person who has a mental illness. And the difficulty with living with a mental illness is what you call the dreaded stigma. Nobody wants to talk about it. You don't go up to a for a job employment and an interview and say, oh, by the way, I suffer with depression. You immediately know I've lost the job opportunity here. And you don't want to do that. Uh, Prince Harry, uh, I'm not sure if he's still called Prince anymore, but anyway, uh, he said this, mental health is a sensitive subject amongst a lot of people but it doesn't need to be. We need to talk about it more and get rid of the dreaded stigma. Because whether we like it or not, there is a stigma attached with a person who says, I'm suffering with a mental illness. And here is what happens. It's often more so in Christianity. Here is why. Because Christians will immediately jump to some conclusions and because of some bad teaching, I believe, uh, it is often demonized. Now, were there mental issues in the scriptures that, that spoke about demons? Absolutely. But were there mental is- issues in the Bible that didn't have demonic issues? Absolutely. We write about that in our book and make sure people understand the difference between these two. People deny it, they doubt it, when it really just needs to be discussed and, and spoken about, and uh, people can understand this. And so, my wife and I here's a picture of my wife, we're at Mental Health Week in Australia and they talk about the elephant in the room that somebody needs to make sure we talk about the gigantic elephant in the room, which is called mental health and mental illness. Right now, if there was a big elephant sitting on that second row and everyone could see it, but nobody's game enough to say, "Uh, pastor, there's an elephant sitting there. Yeah, we're not going to talk about this thing. That's almost like mental illness sitting there and people know it exists but we just don't want to talk about it because sometimes when we get to these things, we, we, we struggle with, the, how do I deal with it? How do I handle this? And, and my wife and I really think that we need to be a voice and, and many others to break the silence on the topic and help remove some of the stigma because as a Christian, you can often feel bad and even obligated to hide the fact that you have a mental illness. You're depressed. And you're born again. You have anxiety and panic attacks, and you're a believer in Christ and a follower of Jesus. And then all of a sudden you think, "I can't tell people this. It makes God look bad. I'm a Christian. And we feel this sort of shame from there. In 1993, uh, my wife it's us on the left-hand corner, and then on the right, I'm twice the man she married uh, now. <laughs> and anyway um, I, so I was standing on the bathroom scales at home and I was sucking my stomach in like this, looking down and Jenny said, Robert, that's not going to help. <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. It's the only way I can see the numbers. So it's a, but anyway, this was our story. 1993, I came home from work one day and I was doing legal work and work doing ministry. And I came home and, um, I could just sense there wasn't something right with Jenny. She was, she had this look on her face that just didn't seem right. Something was odd. And she looked at me and had this, and then she just turned and she probably ran from here to that wall and just ran and threw herself into the, the well, I think you call it sheep rock, we call it gyp rock and just put a massive hole in the wall and slumped to the ground and just bawling her eyes out. And we had no idea what had happened. And we thinking, what, what has taken place here? Uh, what, what is wrong? Is there something wrong with her? And then she'd hit these massive lows where she would get very, very depressed, lose her appetite. She, weigh, she weighed in around about 80 pounds. I mean, she just got really, really uh, just withdrawn. She would suffer a brain fog. She would have suicidal thoughts would plague her. And that she said the pit was just so deep, so deep in those moments. We, I took her to a doctor, obviously, and We went there. And the first doctor we saw said, Robert, he said, your wife has got a mental illness. You need to take her to the psychiatric ward and just leave her there and let them treat her. And that wasn't going to be an option for us. We thought, hang on, I'm not going to just leave and dump her up in some psych ward or mental health place. And the facilities back in 1993 in Australia weren't great. And uh, we were thinking, well, what do we do? So some people would diagnose her and bless their heart. I mean, they do the best job they would. And They were backyard doctors, friends and family, and and they would say, well, it's just all in your head. Well, it was, they just didn't figure out what was taking place from there. And then she would swing from these massive lows to massive highs. And admittedly, we write about it in our books and things on some of the funny things that happen. Our kids will record different things. This was a a moment for my son. He's uh, my eldest son now, he's in his late uh, mid thirties. But Ben here is 16. He turned 16 in January, but Jenny wasn't doing great. May, she was doing fantastic. So she turned up to school in May with a birthday cake and just interrupted the class to sing, happy birthday to Ben and his 16th birthday and embarrassing him in front of all his friends. And to which you can see he was delighted with the look on his face. My mother one time was staying at our place and uh, my wife just, uh, she hadn't slept for 72 hours. There's my wife and my mum hugging her now. And it was three o'clock in the morning on a school day. And my wife woke all the kids up and said, let's sing happy birthday to grandma. And you can see again their enthused look on their faces knowing it's three o'clock in the morning. And then let's go out and pick some mangoes off the tree because grandma loves mangoes. And these were some of the things that would happen and Jenny would just be ecstatic and conquer the world and do whatever she wanted to do. And that's where she was and I'd always get the credit card and we'd freeze it in a block of ice so she couldn't use it. but she would, just, uh, she would just go literally crazy on everything, massive. And she was invincible. Whatever she wanted to do, she would just jump into it. And that we always knew that then would come a massive crash after that. And then finally, we discovered that she had what was called bipolar disorder. And uh, you're talking several years back now, and it was sort of, what is this thing? How does it all fit together? It used to be called manic depression, where you would go from severe depression to severe mania. And sometimes in the same day, you could rapid cycle and move around. And it's not like you wake up in the morning and you think, I think I might have a depressed day today. Or I think today I might just go on a manic high. You don't choose that. It doesn't happen that way. And so we're not sure in the morning whether Jenny's gonna wake up and she's Tigger or whether she's gonna wake up and she's Eeyore. We're not sure. Uh, I spoke to her last night and she was Eeyore. Three days ago, I spoke to her and we were FaceTiming back and forth and she was Tigger. And so we just enjoy the road. We're Winnie the Pooh in the middle of it and we're not sure where where we are and we just go along with the whole thing from there. But because of the, the lived experience, we decided let's speak about this topic. And the reason we do that is because often what we don't understand, we fear. We do that in life. You look at what's happening right now in the world. What you do not understand You fear, you see a person that maybe have some sort of physical uh, disability or impairment, and they act a little bit different. And because we do not understand that, we fear that. And so the same thing with mental health issues from there. And so my pursuit became a quest, we need to understand this. If we are living with this, we need to understand it and work through it. So we started to write some books on this. The first book we wrote was called Poles Apart. Uh, which is this one here, a Christian couple gives bipolar a voice. And I had a lady in our church who was an artist who suffered with depression. And I took a a photo of Jenny and I said, could you do a portrait of her? And she said, I'm not really great at portraits, but she did the best she could. And uh, I said, it was fantastic, but she came to the mouth part and she said, Rob, I can't really, I can't do the mouth. And I said, it's perfect. It's perfect. And Jenny and I said, that's exactly what it is. Because often people who have a mental illness can't speak about it. So let's just, we call her the woman with no mouth and let's become a voice for people who struggle with mental health. And so we write this book here and it speaks about our life story and then what the Bible speaks about mental health. And then a whole lot of practical things that we deal with that is just good for Christian living. And the other book we put together, it's a book called Panic Attacks on what to do when panic attacks. And it deals with anxiety, deals with fears, Uh, how to handle these different issues and how to cast your care and your anxieties and overcome it. I'm currently writing the book now on battling and beating the blues, which thanks to coronavirus, I'll be quarantined and we'll get a chance to finish the book as uh, we work through these things. But today, uh, I wanted to focus not so much on anxiety and these other topics, but I wanted to focus on this topic of depression because it is the more prevalent mental illness in your country and, uh, and in mine from there. Now, remember the text that we started off with, where it, said, uh, it says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Uh, Eugene Peterson in his, the message, he uh, paraphrased it this way, and I love the paraphrase, why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? And you sort of think, I, I've been there. I've been in those moments where I've been down in the dumps, where I've been in a situation where I feel like I'm, I, I just can't pull myself out of this from here, And I want to remind you that depression is more than just mere discouragement, because how many ever get discouraged? I think every person here would get discouraged. Depression is more than that. It's a prolonged period of time of sadness, emotional intensity, a state of can include discouragement, dejection, apathy for a prolonged period. But there is one word that sort of really uh, prevails across the whole issue of depression, and it's this word here, hopelessness. When a person is going through depression they feel hopeless and they feel like there is no hope in these areas and that's why it's difficult to turn around to a depressed person and say you just need to have more faith in god because here is the reason why it's difficult to say that and act that out because faith requires hope faith is the substance of things hoped for and what you have to help a person with when they're going through depressive moments is you have to give them hope And that's why David said, hope thou in God. I've got to bring my hope back to here. Because what we know about depression is this, depression is no respecter of persons. You go through Old Testament, New Testament, there are kings and leaders who went through depressive moments like Saul. Uh, Political leaders throughout history, Winston Churchill, Uh, In World War II periods, uh, he went through depression. In more recent times, you have actors and comedians. Sadly, Robin Williams, through his mental illness issue, uh, he took his own life from there. But it's not just to secular people and secular leaders. Just last year, Jared Wilson, a leading uh, pastor in your country, who would also write and talk about mental illness issues and hold these things. He himself, in a very deep, deep, dark pit of depression, took his own life. And it became a sweeping news. Here is a Christian leader who took his own life. And you say, what does it simply tell us? It simply tells us that depression is a silent killer. My wife talks about it this way. She said, you'll just wake up in the morning and you you just cannot get away from this. It's a pervading experience. You're at lunch with your friends and it's nagging at you. You're at your kids' sports games and you have this constant feeling of despair. It's a morbid, Spirit of darkness, as how she describes it. She said it just washes away, and I've seen this washes away your personality, where you're just numb. In one of the moments where Jenny was extremely low, uh, she's had shock treatment at different times, and we write about the fours and what happened with that and the, the difficult issues with ECT. But one moment where she was extremely low, she wouldn't even want children to be around her, wouldn't want me to be around her, wouldn't want to be touched by anyone. And you would actually, I remember asking her one time, do you, do you love the kids? And she said, I don't think I love anyone because you're just so low, so low in these moments her mind gets tired from there. And, and sadly, what a lot of people do is they simply just try to bomb themselves out. Just go get another pill and uh, maybe medicine will, will cure me. Medicine has its place. And it has a good place to help in different areas, but it's not going to be the cure. It's going to be a help that we can use in different moments from there. What we really need, in especially when anxiety kicks in, uh, but also depression, what we really need is a good word. I love this passage here. It said, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. You just feel like, you ever stooped over and you feel like, it feels like it's happening inside because there's this this, this depression, this anxiety pulling me down. But the answer is a good word. We've got to give people a good word. A good word maketh it glad because anxiety and depression are often twins. You know, you, you get anxiety, then you get depressed because you have anxiety or you have depression and then you end up getting anxiety because you're anxious about depression. And they're often couplets and working together. But I, I remember times I would sit on the end of my bed, pick up my guitar and my bed, and Jenny would be in a depressed state, and I'd just sing words of hope to her from some great, some great songs and just sing them to her. And I haven't got the greatest voice, but I, she knew it was coming from my heart and would just sort of be a good word to bring around to her from there. Now, I want to just speak on depression here for a moment. Depression can often have two different sources, an outward source and an inward source, The outward source is what you would probably call circumstantial depression. And a lot of the work with a person who's going through circumstantial depression is going to be called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, working through your cognition, working through your thoughts, working through the things that you have been fearful about and getting depressed about. And generally, it's loss-based or change-based. There's been a change in my circumstances. I've lost this, this partner or this job or this issue. And it spiraled you into a, from a discouraged moment into a continual state of apathy from there. Inward is a little bit different because we're dealing with clinical chemical issues, which you really cannot often find a source. There's no circumstance that sort of triggered this. There may be some things, but generally not. And we often will talk about imbalances in people's in people's uh, brain chemistry from there. Uh, and it's sort of like this. If you've ever seen a an algae infected pool, how do you get that pool back to be clean and clear water again? There's an imbalance in that pool of chemicals. So what you do is you shock it with chemicals and it brings it back where it's now clear again. Well, similarly, when you have issues affecting your brain chemistry and wiring, which much of it is how the electricity flows through your body. You have serotonin levels, dopamine levels, if different issues that can get out of whack, and sometimes they need a bit of a shock to sort of help bring those things back into order. There are examples of what happens in the brain, we're not sure exactly, but I was traveling with a gentleman who was a, a doctor who works with PET scans. And he put me onto this, he said, I want you to check up some of these PET scans of what a depressed brain looks like. Look at the blood flow, as opposed to the person when they're not depressed. There are definitely things, it's like you've got a kink in the hose and thing is they're not flowing through or there's been a disconnect in some of the wiring and the, the wire is a bit loose and it's just not flowing correctly. So we can chemically supply some things to help that refire again. And reset it. That's what ECT does, electric uh, convulsive therapy. It's like a reset button on your phone or on your computer to kick you back in and get things firing again and working through that. Now, here's what some people will argue back they'll say, but should you really do that? Shouldn't you just pray about these things? Well, let me ask you this question that your body is not producing insulin naturally to break down sugars, and you think nothing of it to go chemically supply something to your body that it's not supplying itself, so you don't get diabetes. Or you are under hypertension and you're, it's not, if it's not regulated properly, your blood pressure is too high, you're endangering your heart, and we think nothing of it to chemically supply to our body that which we need to help our hypertension. Yet when we come to something not working correct in the brain, we tell a person, well, you just need to pray about this. See, see, when you can see a person with a broken arm, you think, oh, you've got a broken arm, you've got a cast on it. But how do you talk about a person who has a broken mind? You can't see that. You can't, you can't examine the brain when a person's alive. You can't cut it open and go through it like you can with other organs. It just doesn't happen that way. And people say, well, aren't you, don't you just have enough, enough faith or to work through this and... And I always say, you just remember, God made the hands who made the medicine, and there are some benefits to this, and it may help someone look a little bit clearer, but but in either case, you end up with a unquiet mind. So I wanna take you now quickly to an example in the scriptures of a person who I believe had an unquiet mind. An incident in his moment where he would be classified in one of those 20% of people in a nation that was going through an episode in a year. His name is Elijah. Elijah the prophet in 1 Kings chapter 19 is a man who's come out of a massive spiritual high. He's had three years of extreme highs and battles that he's winning and God vindicates him after the three years and sends rain there on Mount Carmel. And we witness this bloke doing amazing, incredible things. And then he has a big crash into a deep, depression and goes into what I call the unquiet mind state. So I want to take you to three things that we can recognize here. The first thing we've got to do is recognize triggers. Now did Elijah have chemical depression, clinical depression or circumstantial? I don't really know whether it was a chemical issue as much as it was circumstantial. My way of thinking from examining him, probably more circumstantial, but either way he needed cognitive issue issues and treatment. He got suicidal depressed. I mean the scripture says it this way. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, he killed all her prophets, and so she sends a messenger and threatens him. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. Otherwise, you're a dead man, Elijah. I'm going to kill you and wipe you out. Here is the great prophet. It's a little bit disturbing at times when you read this. This man who calls fire down from heaven. This man who's fed by ravens, you know, he doesn't get KFC, he gets Raven FC or whatever it is and dropped into his lap. This man is just on fire for God, He gets this death threat after he's just wiped out all these prophets and the Bible says he went for his life, came to Beersheba and that's a bit of a diff- distance from where he was in Jezreel to Beersheba. Uh, it's a good bit of a hike And he left his servant there. And then the next thing we see is this, but he himself went a day's journey and down into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree. And this is a a troublesome passage. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he simply said, it is enough. I cannot take any more cannot take this God, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. He is fully immersed in a depressed state where he's now suicidal. And this is where he said, I cannot deal with this. I'm a, I can't take it. And maybe in our lives, it's might be, I don't wanna answer the phone. I I, I can't open an envelope. When someone knocks at my door, I'm just gonna lie in bed and act like I'm not here. I do not want to speak to people, I don't want to go to work, I've had enough. I'm at that state and his perspective was way off and I want to give you in his life how he ended up getting depressed and I want to give you this, how to get depressed in five easy steps. You ready for it? This is how to get depressed in five easy steps. The first thing you want to do is knock yourself out, just get absolutely fatigued, wear yourself to the bone. He was physically exhausted for three years, massive highs, wore himself out and you have to remember your body and your brain are all connected and that's why at times uh, you can flip out over something very small because you're absolutely exhausted you ever flipped out because there was you know you went to get some sugar out of the cupboard to put in your coffee and there's no sugar left and you think there's no sugar and you think it's all right it's just sugar or you go to hit the staple and there's all the staples are gone out of it and you flip out because <laughs> someone didn't replace the staples and you think there's no staples And you think, it's all right, settle down. And we do that. We just flip out. We're just fatigued. Here's the second thing. He was fearful. He let his worries consume his thinking. Jezebel's threat consumed every thought, overwhelmed his faith. His focus shifted from God to the problem. and and, And this is what happens. We can't see a threat, but it bothers us day and night. It could be a threat that you're going to lose your job. It could be a threat that you're going to catch coronavirus. It could be a threat that you are, you better do this. And, and, it, and it zaps people and fear just sucks them dry and paralyzes them. And they're afraid and constantly concerned about things. Uh, I, I'm going to, my business is going to crash or I'm going to, this is going to happen. And it consumes my thinking. My parent died when When he was 52 or she was fifty-two, and I'm fifty-one and and wonder what's gonna happen. Will I make it to be fifty-two? Or will I get to that thing? Or and your mind starts to plague. Your mind starts to work through. The second, third thing he did was he fled. He started to shut people out. Remember the Bible says he left his servant there at Beersheba? Someone who was close to him. He left him and we abandoned friends, we abandoned people. I'm not gonna let you in, I'm not gonna tell you what I'm going through, I'll isolate. I'll wall up, I'll push people away. And then fourthly, he lost focus. He started to think on everything negative. When you start to look at what he was thinking through, his perspective was way off, where he wanted to die. I want you to think this, he requested that he might die. It wasn't just a cry for help. This guy wanted to check out Now, some of you may never have visited that place. Some of you may have had those thoughts bounce around in your mind at times. And if you've ever been in that state, I've sat there with my wife while she's in that state. And focus is completely off. Perspective is completely off. And Jenny Jenny says this, it's not that you can't see the light in the tunnel, you can't even see the tunnel. You're just locked into this and, and there's this absence of hope. And did you notice in the text, he also said, "'For I'm not better than my fathers.'" The strange thing is, no one was asking him if he was. He was tormenting his own mind with his own thoughts. And often we do that. We torment ourselves, and then we exaggerate, and self-pity exaggerates, where you start to think, "'I'm never going to be any good at this. I'm always going to be like this, and next thing I'm in an exaggeration state from then.'" Focusing on negative, negative, bad. When Jenny is in those states, we, I, I encourage her, and we've walked through this, do not read your Bible. He you said, that's a bit odd. No, no, what we do, we select passages of scripture that she already has, that she can meditate and read on those. More of the, more of the positive passages. I'll tell you why. Because we discovered quite clearly, Jenny would start to read the scriptures in her, in her lost focus state, And she would be in this negative focus state and everything she would focus on were the bad things. She would hone in on the negative things in scripture and she would just dwell upon that. So we realize that we've got to shift the focus from there. And then lastly, number five is just forget. Just don't remember the faithfulness of God. Forget what God's ever done for you. Forget those things. And uh, if you want to get depressed, just forget God, which is exactly what a lot of people do. And yet there is one word that comes up over and over in the scriptures and it's the word, remember. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the greatness of God. Remember what God has done. Why does he tell us that? Because we can often forget. We have bad memories and we wanna keep the good memories in there and forget those things. So his perspective is off. So what what happens? The second thing is this, I need to reach out for treatment. You say, what sort of treatment do I need? Well, I know in in this instance, God sends an angel He sends a representative to treat him. It was someone who came into his life in Elijah's state. It was an angel. And I wanted you to notice as we read this, that there is no shame, there is no lecture, there is no sermon, there's no rebuke. The angel never gets up and he never says this, Oh, Elijah, if you only had more faith. Oh, Elijah, if you only memorized those Bible verses. Elijah, you shouldn't have skipped church on Sunday. Never, none of this. He never gives him any of that, you know, just quick acting like a baby, just suck it up, Elijah. None of that. Here is instead what he gives him, because he needed physical treatment. This is the first thing he needed. He needed some physical treatment. You say, how do I know that? Because the scripture tells me he needed that. He needed something physical in his life. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. I'm so glad God still can touch us. And said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. His physical treatment for him was food and rest. This guy was depleted. This guy needed to be renourished. There was something wrong in his in, in physical issues. Some people is a diet issue. Some people need vitamins. Some people need some medicinal help. Some people need some exercise. Some people need some different aspects that may be of what he needed from there. But he absolutely needed rest. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can ever do is get some rest and just get your body back in. Sleep is extremely important for a depressed person to have regular, routine sleep otherwise the people get all out of whack in different times from that. And then he needed some mental treatment. He said, what did he need mentally? Well, his thinking was off. There was things he wasn't cognitively working through. And so so the the angel says to him, now let's talk about this. The angel came again the second time and touched him, wakes him up and said, arise and eat. I love how God just keeps talking about food all the time. He says, eat, and eat, we had a great meal last night here too. Because, and here's what he said, here, here's why, because the journey is too great for thee. You need to be told something here, Elijah. And sometimes your mental treatment might be some counseling. It might be some therapy. It might be someone who just needs to speak with you, calm yourself down. You have gotta think through this, Elijah, you're not thinking about this correctly. You need to pace yourself in the journey. When I was in high school, uh, I was a sprinter, believe it or not. And, and I was able to sprint the 100 meter dash and do that pretty good in the 200 meters and I would do it well. And one day I decided to enter the 5,000 meter cross country. And I entered the 5,000 meter cross country with the mind of a sprinter. And so as the gun goes off, I took off. And I was, I was miles ahead of these people for a short period of time. And I'm thinking, looking back, thinking, look at all these losers way back there. And then all of a sudden, something happened to my legs. And then my heart was sort of, what what on earth's going on here? And my legs are sort of jellied as we hit the one kilometre mark. And next thing I'm noticing, I'm slowing down and people are passing me in this jog technique. And I thought, what's happening? Well, needless to say, paramedic, (laughs) I needed help and I had to get off the track. And the coach said, Robert, what were you doing? You entered this race with the wrong mindset. And often what happens, we need someone to sit down with us and say, your thinking's off. You need some mental treatment from here. You've been thinking through this wrong. And then lastly, he needed spiritual treatment. He needed some spiritual treatment. He needed to, to get some time with God. What I find strange is often when people go through mental illnesses, the last place they come to is a church. Especially they think, oh, I don't, I shouldn't, I don't feel good about this and that's where they need to come they need to be around god's people and we need to make people who are having mental illness issues welcome and say there is a place for you here you are loved you are loved by god as we saw on that video there is a home there is someone who cares for you and this is he needed some spiritual treatment and he said you get up and you went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights under horeb the mount of god you need to get where god is You need to go spend some time with God. For Jenny, as I mentioned to you, some songs were very helpful, some scriptures were very helpful. In our book, Poles Apart, we write a whole chapter in this this book here, and we talk about 16, 25 practical solutions of dealing with mental illness, 16 of which are available to any person, but nine are exclusive for the Christian. And we say there there is a great benefit not just heaven, but there is a physical and mental and uh, health benefit by being a Christian and having access to these things that you can have as a Christian. So it's a holistic approach. It's physical, it's mental, and it's spiritual, not one without the other. You often need all of these things. And the last thing I'll say this, you need to replace the lies with truth. This is essential in working through your thinking. Now, whether you have circumstantial depression, clinical depression, anxiety, whatever it may be, You've got to guard your thoughts. And notice what happens in verse 9 of the text. And he came thither, came to a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. He needed something from God here. And simply said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? Now, God obviously knew where he was and what he was doing. But he said, what are you doing here, mate? What's going on? And at this point in time god wants elijah to voice his problem he wanted him to verbalize what he was believing so he could point out to him the lies that he was believing so when you are dealing with the person i'd often say jen what's happening right now what are you thinking i want her to verbalize what is actually going on in her mind recognizing your mind and your brain. I didn't talk about this this morning. Your mind and your brain are two different parts of you. Your brain is your physical organ. Your mind is part of your soul, is part of your spiritual being. And that's often where we need to deal with. The brain needs some help, sometimes chemically, but the mind is the key part that we need to work through and talk about your mind and your heart from here. So I want you to notice what he does. Here is Elijah speaking, and I want you to answer this. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. True or false? True. He then goes on and says this. For the children of Israel have forsaken my covenant. True or false? If you know the scriptures, it's true. So everything he's believing right now is true. He then says this. They've thrown down thy altars, God. I mean, they've just disrespected you, God. True or false? true and then he says this and they slain thy prophets with the sword i know of them i know of some of them they want to kill me even true and then he says this and i even i only just want to emphasize this it's just me just me myself and i the three of us <laughs> we're all here together i even i only and left and they seek my life to take it away true or false Absolutely false. And you say, what was happening? He was taking on more responsibility and owning more responsibility than was actually his. No one cares for me. Everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands me. And then God turns around and spends from verse 11 to 18 and corrects his thinking and said, no, 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 it's not true. And by the way, he verbalizes it again in verse 14. God said, no, no, no. I got 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee i got 7,000 others and you're thinking wrong from here. This isn't the case. And don't believe the lies. You're not the only one. And truth will make you free. It will make you free in your mind. It will, it will give you a, a, a position where you can see this. And I often wonder whether, what, what God would say to the lies that we often believe. What God may say to us at different times. You know, what, your, your, your marriage is never going to get better. Well, Why? I thought God is the God of resurrection. He can improve things and make things. My my child's never going to come back to God. Well, why? I thought God is the God of the prodigals. And, And sometimes we believe lies and just believe it and we need to be said, no, that's not true. The truth is this. You need to believe the truth and grab hold of the truth, it will, what will make you free and it will, it will put you in that mindset that you need to be. My wife was told, you know what, you're just crazy, you're a nutcase, that's where you are, you're just gonna live like this the rest of your life. I was told, when I was 28, I was told, you know what you need to do? Your wife's just a nutcase, you got three little kids, you need to divorce her, so move on with life, go back to your law degree, go back to your law career, and just move on, look, you got your whole life ahead of you, Robert. She's gonna be like that for the rest of her life and it's gonna get worse imagine if I believe that lie I mean seriously there are so many lies and we've had to come up with the conclusion this that your illness is not your identity just because you have an illness that's not who you are it's just what you are going through your chemistry is not your character just because she doesn't have the same level of serotonin that I do doesn't mean that that's who she is her her identity and her character is defined by who she is in Christ that she she is a christian she is a born again believer she has christ as her savior that's who she is oh yeah she will struggle with an illness called bipolar but that's not who she is she is a christian she's born again that's her identity she is a child of god she's no longer a slave to fear she is an absolute child of god and by the way we discovered that god sets up a whole new purpose This is my wife speaking at a ladies' meeting. This is her with another lady in our church who suffers with bipolar, who Jenny mentors and disciples and cares for her. And that lady had to quit her university degree because of her mental illness. Jenny got her back on track, worked with her, and there she is last year at her graduation, graduating as a teacher. That lady teaches in our Christian school now and is one of our first-year graduates doing an amazing job. And Jenny just works with her. And, And look, she had an episode... In the last school holidays, and she just comes over to our home. Jenny sits there and counsels with her and works with her, up and going again. And we discovered we've got a whole new purpose here. This wasn't this wasn't a detour. This is just part of the journey. We we have nurses who come from hospital. Jenny gets called to come up to the support group meetings at the hospital. Can you please come up here? We've got another support group meeting. Your contribution is so valuable. You talk. I know we you have that God stuff, but it's just so valuable. And so we've found this is a whole new journey for her. And by the way, Elijah's purpose changed. Elijah went off from being the prophet himself to anointing prophets, to anointing kings, and a whole new journey for his life. See, whenever I would speak on mental illness, uh, the very first time I spoke on it, I had, uh, and I was just a passing comment in a sermon. I had someone from that church come and see me and said, aren't you embarrassed? To mention that your wife has a mental illness. After all, you're in ministry, and I said in Paris. What? No, this is our life. And then I would, and as then we started to speak, and I'd have people come and whisper to me, oh, "I, I have that as well, or oh, my brother has that," and like they're ashamed to mention this. And so we thought, this is what we have to do. We have to be able to speak. And I really do believe that the church. The church ought to be the safest place on planet Earth where you can talk about anything. And and Fresno Church needs to be where people know, you have a mental illness, you're welcome here. We got got some answers. We may not be able to resolve everything, but we got some answers in Jesus and the gospel and give you some hope. We can help you with this. There is some hope in Christ. This is where it is. And you say, well, how do you remove, and how do you help remove the stigma? What, What do we do? Here's how we help remove it. We just have to remember something: we're all broken people. I love that song, Hunter, that you spoke about. The world needs Jesus. That this this world is broken. This world needs healing, and we are all broken people in some area. And some people have broken minds. Some people have broken hearts. Some people have broken spirits. Some people have broken legs and body parts, or whatever it might be. And you know, we're getting all the replacement parts before we get out of here. And it all—it's all happening from there. My, my wife and I read a book once, and we spoke to a lady by the name of Sheila Walsh, and we, we used her quote, and it's just become so powerful for us. And it's so true that my brokenness is a far better bridge to people than my pretend wholeness ever was. My brokenness. And Jenny's brokenness and what she's gone through, the things I've gone through, have been a far better bridge to people than just to pretend that nothing is. We're all doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed realizing that I'm not a blessed, I'm an absolute disquieted moment. And when we speak about these things and, and in my own personal life as a husband, uh, Jenny has helped me immensely to, to be a, uh, strive to be a better husband for her because I want to say this, I read this verse after a period of time and the Holy Spirit used it like an absolute sledgehammer in my life. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them and i got bitter i I got real bitter i got angry i got upset i would say things to her like you know why why are you doing this to us i didn't understand what was going on why are you doing this you're ruining our family you're ruining our ministry what is wrong with you and i would just i was angry i was bitter i was upset and then i read this why the holy spirit just took that like a dagger and just drove it deep into my heart and said, You self righteous, arrogant pig. Look at you. And I had to repent and realize, God, this is my ministry. I'm not talking about losing ministry. This is ministry. This is my wife. Who, 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 who are me? Who am I? And it became a turning point in, in our marriage. It became a turning point in what would happen in how we would deal with things with our family. And we worked through these things and it became a whole new area. So I I call her my hero. And here's why I call her my hero. A hero is someone who has succeeded while struggling with the same problems others have used as an excuse for failure. And she just pushes on, she's a true, true Aussie. She just pushes through and guts it through. And she just said, we're just gonna push through this thing. It's a good day, let's enjoy it. It's a bad day, we'll figure it through and we're just going to go on for Jesus. And she's been an amazing support. I mean, she can't travel a lot with me uh, because of her illness and she does some things but we're constant, she'll text incredible messages say, I love you Rob, here's what we're doing together. Use this, speak to people, use our story and travel and do these different things. And, and I want to finish by going back to where we started with Elijah. You know, Elijah ran for his life in absolute fear that he was going to be killed. Does anyone know how Elijah died? He didn't. God took him up in a chariot. Isn't it amazing that he never experienced his greatest fear? I wonder how many people think coronavirus is going to take me out. I'm done. I'm quarantining! And look, we're not disrespecting anyone who's, who's infected with an illness, we understand that. But we can hit the panic button on so many things in life and we get so consumed with all of this, spirals us into mental health issues. He never even experienced his greatest fear. And we have to always remember that we have a wounded healer, his name is Jesus, and what isn't healed on earth will be healed in heaven where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death for the former things are passed away because we have an absolute savior and a redeemer in his name is Jesus. And this world needs to hear about him and needs to hear about the help that he can offer and what the Holy Spirit of God can do in a person, especially in those times where we have an unquiet mind. Thanks for listening to me this morning, Pastor. I'm going to hand back to you.